This is episode number eight with Dr. Carla Hightower. Welcome to The Marriage Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Price, international marriage interventionist and best-selling co-author of Success Breakthroughs. On this show, I provide innovative solutions for marital success by focusing on personal development and relationship transformation. Every week, I'll be talking with thought leaders from around the world and will be providing your weekly dose of wisdom so you can catapult yourselves to marital success and true life fulfillment. I ask you to love one another, encourage and support each other, and live with passion. Are you ready? Here we go. Today, we have Dr. Carla Hightower on the show to discuss erectile dysfunction, diabetes, and cardiovascular health and the effects they have on marriage. Dr. Hightower is a certified integrative health coach and medical doctor. She works with goal-oriented adults experiencing uncontrolled diabetes. She shows them how to improve their health using plant-based nutrition and lifestyle changes. They experience lowered blood sugars, increased energy, and less pain while reducing their need for medication. Dr. Carla Hightower, welcome to The Marriage Show. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. I appreciate this. Before we dive in, will you please tell us, what is love to you? Love is self-discipline. That means that when I truly love someone, I'm able to put my words and thoughts and behaviors in such a way that you know our relationship is going to grow and blossom. I am wildly passionate about health and treating ourselves naturally or holistically as much as possible. I believe the advances in Western medicine are wonderful and necessary at times, but I also believe that we can, for the most part, heal ourselves through natural means. I know as a marriage interventionist that erectile dysfunction and lowered libido are both very delicate subjects that cause embarrassment and guilt and shame. So I'm really excited to dive in and get to the nitty gritty because after knowing you and following you for a while and all the research that I've done, I've, I've learned that erectile dysfunction, lowered libido, lowered energy, a lot of health symptoms are actually due to diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Uh, so I'm really excited to dive into all of these subjects today and learn so much from you. So I want to start by asking how diabetes and cardiovascular health affect a personal relationship and marriage. First, I want to remind your audience that this is educational information and everything that I share will be really just to share helpful and useful practical strategies. But any of the information should, should be discussed with a doctor before making any changes in lifestyle. So with that being said, really, it's a very common problem for us to see in our standard American lifestyle that chronic diseases such as diabetes and heart disease are having an effect on sexual function. And the impact has to do with the fact that these conditions are 
so interrelated, there's an underlying root cause that makes them connected, basically. So what we're having is a real epidemic of chronic inflammation. And this is going back to our lifestyle choices, the way that we eat, our stress levels, and other lifestyle habits that actually set us up for seeing this type of sexual dysfunction or erectile dysfunction in conjunction with other chronic diseases that an individual may have. And one of the things that that we see is the real key is that chronic inflammatory disease is actually an inflammatory problem that affects the blood vessels. So in the case of erectile dysfunction, this is actually in most in most in many cases it has to do with a vascular problem. Now I will preface this also by saying that there are many causes for erectile dysfunction. So there are instances where erectile dysfunction can be a physical problem due to trauma. For instance, if a person had say um, a pelvic surgery or a prostate surgery, for instance. In that case, it would have nothing to do with diabetes or heart disease. It would actually be an anatomical physical trauma. And there are also instances where an individual can have perhaps a psychological or emotional problem or, or even stress can lead to erectile dysfunction. But what we see, we see that most cases of individuals who have diabetes and heart disease pre-existing, that erectile dysfunction is really an inflammatory problem related to blood flow and the limitation of blood flow related to that chronic level of inflammation and artery clogging. Yeah, I've I've read that because it's a blood flow problem, you know, it causes the erectile dysfunction, but then also in women it can cause a lowered libido and then in in some cases the libido in a woman isn't lowered, the desire is there, but then physically she can't enjoy sex as much because of the because of the lowered blood flow to that area. Is that is that true? Yes, and there are many factors. You're touching on something very important that blood flow and obstruction in, in arteries, it affects all parts of our body. And this is true whether we're talking about men and the penile artery or for women, good blood flow to the vagina is very important for lubrication and for the pleasure of sex. We also know that with chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease and other inflammatory problems, many individuals simply have very low energy. And that chronic fatigue is a common symptom of these problems. And that leads to just a lack of, of desire, like just physically the inability to have the energy level that's necessary to be physically intimate is an important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's so important is to, is to think of some of these signs of sexual dysfunction as actually indicators of other larger problems. So erectile dysfunction is now considered a warning sign of the onset of heart disease. It's an earlier sign before an individual actually is diagnosed with heart disease. It's common for them to develop erectile dysfunction because the arteries to the penis are more narrow to begin with than the arteries to the heart. So the penile artery will be blocked earlier in life, perhaps a few years earlier than actually the signs and symptoms of heart disease will present. 
So physicians are now are often counseling their, their patients that the complaint of erectile dysfunction should be viewed in the larger context of being an early red flag of heart disease. Yeah, I read somewhere that erectile dysfunction and lowered libido can actually be one of the first symptoms of diabetes and and different types of cardiovascular health. Is it true that it can be one of the very first symptoms? Yes, it can be. And, And I also read that it can show up years before any type of results like diabetic results or cardiovascular results actually are present to the doctor, that they you can actually experience sexual dysfunction for years before any concrete diagnosis is made towards diabetes or cardiovascular disease. Is that, is, is that true as well? Yes, that's true. The studies have shown that that is true. And we know that every person is different. So their propensity toward having symptoms in different parts of the body will vary from person to person. But that is correct, yes, that, that the timing will vary, and this can be a very early warning sign of, of things to come. So it should be taken very seriously. So if a man, for just for example, if a man is experiencing erectile dysfunction, has no history of diabetes or cardiovascular disease himself or in his family, he goes to the doctor and he says, you know, I, I heard this podcast where, where these people were talking about how erectile dysfunction can be a precursor symptom to diabetes or cardiovascular disease. Can you check me for both? Are there tests that are so thorough that the doctor will be able to test and say, oh, yes, you're, you're in very, very early stages of uh, cardiovascular disease, for example. Is there a test for that? Or does he just have to wait three to five to seven years before the other symptoms are severe enough that the cardiovascular doctor will see? There are tests that are used as screening when a person, when a patient has any symptom that suggests the potential for having heart disease, there are screening tests that can be done. Some are very basic, like an EKG, and of course, a very thorough history and physical examination from a physician is important to have. Then from there, the information that's gathered from that physical exam will determine what tests need to be done. There are even tests in the blood work, just some simple routine blood work that will be able to give some insight. So there may be inflammatory markers that are elevated. Those biomarkers are are key indicators and even elevated cholesterol and blood sugar problems with even the vital signs are important to take note of. So it will often be the full picture as well as an individual's symptoms. So oftentimes an individual may be concerned about one problem like erectile dysfunction, but there will be other signs and symptoms that a doctor can tease out in order to help really see if this is an indicator of something bigger. Okay. So it makes sense to me, since I'm not a doctor, it makes sense to me that cardiovascular disease causes narrowing of the arteries, which decreases blood flow, which causes erectile dysfunction and either lowered libido or lowered sexual pleasure in women. Explain why diabetes can cause erectile dysfunction. Okay. Well, there are different types of diabetes, but the fundamental problem is inflammation and the destruction of 
blood vessels. So the inflammation inside of our arteries will, in a diabetic, this is exacerbated by the high blood sugar levels, especially as the diabetes, if the diabetes is uncontrolled. And that it will accelerate the progression of clogging of the blood vessels. And it can affect all parts of the body. So it can affect the brain, the heart, the kidneys, and then the, the sexual organs as well, the limbs, the feet, the legs. So this is where all the complications of diabetes will present themselves. And with diabetes, we see an acceleration, a faster progression of these symptoms and complications compared to a non-diabetic. So that's why it's so important to be able to understand the root cause. And in our society, we know that our standard American diet is fundamental and very connected to the development of inflammation and insulin resistance and therefore high blood sugar. And really, this is a promotion of diabetes due to lifestyle changes. As our food has changed over the years and decades, we're seeing that the incidence and the, pre the prevalence of diabetes has now become at an epidemic level. What are some of the signs and other than erectile dysfunction or lowered libido, lowered ability to experience pleasure and sex for women, what are some of the other most common signs and symptoms of uncontrolled diabetes? Fatigue and exhaustion are very common complaints. Other problems can be related to when someone is first diagnosed, often thirst from having high blood sugar. This causes dehydration. High blood sugar, the kidneys will try to compensate by excreting more sugar through the urine. And this dehydrates an individual very quickly. So that, that feeling of extreme tiredness and thirst, that's a, that's a common symptom. Other problems can be related to the high blood sugar itself causing blurry vision, brain fog or sluggish mental processing, memory problems, and just a sense of slowed mental processing as those blood sugars are very high. And individuals can go on to develop pain, painful neuropathy in their legs and feet, particularly even the hands and the, basically the extremities. And as time goes on with diabetes, the organs in general can be affected. So that's where we can start to see the heart disease. We also see that the digestion is affected you know, we're talking about generally the problematic foods that are leading to high blood sugar also can also promote problems with digestion as well. Wow. I had no idea that diabetes could actually lead to digestive issues and more shockingly to me, cardiovascular disease. I had no idea. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So how can nutrition improve all the symptoms and actually allow a person to gain control over diabetes and cardio and re even reverse cardiovascular disease? Yes. The studies show that a whole food plant-based nutrition plan has improved the level of insulin resistance in diabetes. And it's, it's a natural response to eating food that's anti-inflammatory. So what we're talking about, we're talking about using food that is 
minimally processed or, or unprocessed, where it's, it's like it comes out of the ground without a lot of added chemicals, without the high level of fat, sugar, and salt that tends to be a problem in the standard American diet. And so it allows the person to start addressing the root cause of their inflammation and to start decreasing that naturally. So this is really one way that we, we, we see in the medical science that individuals have been able to approach their condition and rely less on conventional medicine because they're addressing the root underlying problem. And this improves their diabetes, but it also will improve the problem of clogged arteries with individuals who have heart disease because that is now considered in the cardiology community to be a lifestyle problem primarily, not so much a genetic problem, even though genetics will increase the propensity toward having certain conditions. It's the lifestyle and the way that individuals are eating that actually causes these problems to be manifested. I just read an article not too long ago that said all the latest research points to the fact that something like 93% of our health is what we eat and 5% is a lifestyle. And then the last little bit left over is genetic. But now they're even saying that whatever we inherit genetically can actually be altered through nutrition. So if, if this is true, 93 to 97-ish percent of our health and our body is exactly what we eat, that's that's profound. And then a little bit is, is lifestyle and exercise, of course, but it kind of goes back to what my mother taught me in childhood, and that is you are what you eat. <laughs> yes. So what are the factors that are causing this current epidemic of, of diabetes and cardiovascular disease? Is it, is it really falling down to poor nutrition? Nutrition is the biggest piece. However, it's not the only part. So in our society, we consume far more animal products than we used to say 50 years ago or 75 years ago. Individuals did not consume the amount of cheese and animal products like eggs, dairy, and meat that the average person consumes now. So the average person consumes two or three times as much in terms of pounds per year of cheese, for instance, than than back in the 50s or 1940s. And so there's been a stepwise correlation between the consumption of inflammatory foods, particularly animal products, and also we can't forget the tremendous increase in the number of processed foods that are on the market that never existed in the past. Individuals are eating out more than, than ever before. And the food that, that's consumed outside purchased commercially is very different than the way that an average person would cook at home. So, so there's a lot more sugar, fat, and salt in food that would be purchased outside of the home. The quantity, the sheer volume, the portion size of, of these foods that are purchased at fast food restaurants and, and elsewhere has also increased over these decades. So it's been a tremendous shift in the foods, the types of foods, the amount of foods that individuals, especially on the Western diet in America, are consuming. And as our food has, has, is now international, we see that the changes and the problems are actually being witnessed in other countries. 
like for instance in China, their population had a very low, extremely low level of heart disease and diabetes before the 1980s. But in 1987, the first fast food restaurant opened in China and it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And ever since, there's been a proliferation in the presence of those fast food companies and the consumption of all of these foods that were never part of their traditional diet. And now there's a, an explosion of diabetes in their, in their country that didn't exist before. And it's thought to be clearly connected to this sudden and abrupt change in the way that they as a society were eating. Yeah, I've heard, you know, processed foods, I've heard cooking with oils is horrible because of the transformation that occurs in the oil, you know, that that becomes kind of rancid and toxic for our bodies. But one thing I've been really asking myself the last two years is, are processed foods really foods? Is it really food? Because yes, you can put it in your mouth. Yes, you can eat it. And most of the time you don't see any negative fallout from it immediately. But over time you do. So I've, I've been wondering the last couple of years is are processed foods really food? And that has led me to a whole foods diet. And I've gone vegan and occasionally eat cheese. Cheese is really good. Pizza is so good. You know, you can't, you can't deny pizza's, pizza is good. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I, I've, I've gone vegan and then I've tried to introduce cheese back into my diet at times. And although I don't have any immediate consequences that I suffer, my energy is lowered. And I've noticed even creativity and ability to focus and and I, my brain function just doesn't seem as prolific as it is when I'm when I'm on a totally vegan diet. So I can understand the consequences that people suffer from having dairy in their products. It is it is an inflammatory, even for people who aren't lactose sensitive or lactose intolerant. Uh, I've read a lot of research that says that it is an inflammatory in every single person and it causes inflammation in the brain even. So it makes sense that lower brain function will occur. Let's talk about the differences between nutrition and lifestyle changes versus just medication that somebody can go take conventional medicine. So let's say somebody has diabetes or a form of cardiovascular dysfunction, heart disease, or, you know, for example, clogged arteries. What are the differences between popping pills, taking medications to lower blood pressure and to alleviate symptoms versus nutrition changes and lifestyle changes? Our medical literature shows very clearly that the difference has to do with, first of all, the acute nature of a, of a disorder. For instance, if someone has, if someone presents with, say, a heart attack, that acute problem that's life-threatening is best managed with conventional approaches. So in that case, it's a life-threatening emergency. There are medications and potentially surgical procedures that our healthcare, our physicians and our doctors, nurses, and other providers are so skilled at intervening in that life-saving effort. So that's where conventional medicine excels when an individual is in a acute crisis. Conventional medicine also excels when there's an infectious disease process going on where the underlying problem is an infection. 
we are very advanced with, with our antibiotics and other infectious disease modalities to save lives in those situations. However, when we talk about chronic diseases such as diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, arthritis, inflammatory bowel diseases, dementia, all of these chronic diseases, those problems are actually better addressed through the lifestyle changes that are the root cause of those problems. There really isn't a pill or a medicine that's going to reverse those. Instead, the pills and medicines for chronic diseases are mainly masking the symptoms while the disease is progressing underneath the surface. This disease continues to lurk underneath the surface and oftentimes individuals are given a false sense of security because they'll see their numbers improving or they'll see that their symptom is is on a short-term basis better. For instance, if a person takes, say, a medicine for erectile dysfunction that allows them to, on a short-term, moment-to-moment basis, perform, they may forget about the fact that they have a chronic disease that needs to be addressed. And so that will actually lead to them more likely experiencing larger, more significant complications down the line because the problem wasn't treated really. It wasn't dealt with. The root cause is still there. So really the two have to do with Conventional medicine, I'd say, is for those. It's like when your house is on fire and you need to call the fire department, that's conventional medicine. But lifestyle choices, it's also called lifestyle medicine, has to do with the day-to-day habits that a person can do to protect themselves and even help reverse a chronic disease. And that's, that's under an individual's, it's controlled by, by an individual. It's not prescribed. A doctor doesn't, like, you know, the fire department doesn't tell us to put put the battery in our smoke detector and, you know, doesn't tell us how to maintain our home safely, but they come when there's a crisis. So so doctors kind of are like the firefighters, but what we want to do is prevent these problems by having really good day-to-day habits in our food and lifestyle choices. Yeah, you know, that reminds me. My parents' farm manager, he was having some health issues, some symptoms, and went to the doctor, and he was quite ill, actually, and his blood pressure was through the roof. And so they put him on a medication to lower his blood pressure, which immediately increased his energy, helped him sleep better. His blood pressure was under control, so he physically felt so much better. Thankfully, he had a really smart doctor and his wife is a nurse who both said to him, okay, but now it's time for you to make some dietary changes. So they changed up his diet. He ended up losing a ton of weight, getting a lot of energy that came back. He was sleeping better, happier, work performance was better, and he was able to go off of all of his medication and maintain it through diet alone. And so That's just a beautiful example of how medication can be great in the beginning to get something under control uh, quickly so that it doesn't become a life-threatening. You know, it it could have easily quickly led to a heart attack or a stroke, uh, aneurysm of some sort, you know, something truly life-threatening. And so the medication, you know, resolved it quickly and effectively while it gave him the opportunity to make the lifestyle and, and uh, dietary changes as well. So he started exercising and, and he got really healthy and he said he's, he felt 
feels better now more than uh, better than he has since I think you know college or something. So that's just a, a beautiful example of that. So you know, for all of our listeners, they're they're sitting here listening to a lot of dietary changes, exercise, lifestyle changes that they have to make, taking a medication, weaning themselves off of a medication. It can be extremely overwhelming for a person, especially if they don't know much about erectile dysfunction, lowered libido, hormonal changes that can come about because of diabetes and heart disease. And and then, of course, the threat, the fear of the, the fact that they could have diabetes or heart disease. So all of this thrown on a person all at the same time with no medical background, can be really, really overwhelming. So if you could tell people one change that they could make up front, what would the most important change be? In most cases, the most important change is to look at what we eat. And one of the greatest benefits comes from looking at the consumption of dairy and curtailing that because we eat so much cheese and consume a lot of milk and dairy products in our community that are causing so much inflammation. That's often, it's often addictive as well for individuals. And so I find that when people are able to make that change, the other lifestyle changes are often easier to follow because it's actually such a hard thing to do. (laughs) It's actually hard if you have an addiction for dairy products to eliminate that, but it's also easy because it's very clear. It's very clear that that food can be enjoyed without that. So it's one step forward and it can lead to some tremendous levels of increased energy, you know, better digestion, less constipation, less pain in the joints and other parts of the body. And definitely the studies have shown that that we can decrease the atherosclerosis. So basically start unclogging the arteries, improving the health of the blood vessels with that one change alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. For men and women alike, whether it's erectile dysfunction or lowered libido or just decreased ability to experience pleasure during sex, now that we know that these are some of the first symptoms that can represent either diabetes or a cardiovascular disease of some sort, Step number one is immediately get to the doctor to rule out these issues, correct? Yes. We always want to preface that any, any signs or symptoms of health problems should be immediately, that, that the first step is to immediately call the doctor, get an appointment. If it's an emergency, then we need to you know, go to the emergency room. That's the first step is to get to seek a medical doctor for a diagnosis and proper medical care first. Before we go, Carla, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Question number one. If everyone in the world would take your recommendation right now on a book to read, what book would you recommend? I recommend The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. Yes. Yes. Good one. Good pick. Second question, what is your favorite way to show love to yourself? I show love to myself by getting a great night's sleep every night and waking up and meditating. Mm, Love it. Love it. Sleep quality is so important, as is meditation. I'm a big fan of both. So kudos to you. Last question, what one action 
from human beings would you like to see more of in this world? I want people to think before they react because once we speak words, we can't take them back. That's my hope for the future, that once we speak or make decisions, we're able to know that they're for the greater good. We need to pause before we make those choices because once they're spoken, there's no taking it back. Yes. Wonderful. How can people learn? You've given us so much great information today. So how can people learn more from you? Where can they find you? The best place to find me is at my website, which is livinghealthworks.com. And there I provide information, some free resources. And my work as a health coach is really showcased there. I enjoy working with individuals who are focused and inspired to improve their health naturally so that they can use just whatever conventional medicine that, of course, their doctors find necessary, but, but not to, to be in the position of having being placed on unnecessary medications or receiving unnecessary treatments. So, so that's the best place to find me. Okay. So give us your website one more time livinghealthworks.com. All right. livinghealthworks.com. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Certified integrative health coach and medical doctor, Dr. Carla Hightower. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise today on The Marriage Show. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Jennifer. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and your audience. It's been simply delightful. That wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Marriage Show. I really appreciate you being with Carla and me today. If you love this episode as much as Carla and I have enjoyed talking, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a five-star review. That will allow us to inspire even more people together. And if there's someone in your life that you think would benefit from this episode and Carla's wisdom and everything we talked about, health and erectile dysfunction and marriage today, please share it with them now. You can text it, screenshot it, or email the link. Let's change lives together. Let's spread the love. And don't forget to tell me who you would like me to have on the show. So go over to any of my social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and give me your suggestion. I really would love to hear from you. And for everything that Carla and I talked about in today's episode, you can check it all out in the show notes found at themarriageshow.com. And you can listen to all of my other episodes there as well. Until next time, love one another.